The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. This uh, introduction of our speaker is a little bittersweet uh, because this may be one of the last times we have uh, the Reverend Eric Landry to come and speak in chapel. Uh, for those of you that know Reverend Landry, he's currently the uh, senior pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church up in Temecula, Murrieta area, that uh, church he planted in 2005. Uh, Eric Landry is also a graduate of Westminster, California, having graduated from this institution in 2003. Uh, but he will be leaving this area soon as the new senior pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Austin, Texas. Uh, I think a post that you just started, didn't you? Does it start? June 1. And so it's a little sad uh, that you'll be leaving us, but, but thankful that you'll be serving the Lord there. Please come. Would you open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 4? Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. You may have seen the headline back in 2009 from Medical News Today. The headline read a little bit more like the satirical website, The Onion. The headline said, research shows temptation is more powerful than people realize. It took a medical journal to figure it out. The researcher said people are not good at anticipating the power of their urges and those who are most confident about their self-control are the most likely to give in to temptation. The key takeaway from the lead researcher is this. You must simply avoid any situation in which vices and other weaknesses thrive. It's so simple. Of course. Why didn't we think of that before? Certainly that's the way to avoid all temptation, all problems that we face in our life. The text that we just read out of Luke chapter 4 is the story of Jesus not avoiding temptation, but marching himself right into the jaws of temptation. 
But one of the ways that we sometimes misunderstand this story is we think that Jesus is drawing on his divine power to withstand these temptations. That this is a situation like the miracles where Jesus is superhuman, different from us. But instead, I think this is a Hebrews chapter 4 moment where Jesus is showing that he is the man, like you and me, tempted in every way like we are. This story unveils for us the universal nature of temptation. The root of all of our temptations, whether that's Adam and Eve in the garden, or Israel out in the wilderness, or a man in our churches contemplating an affair, or a woman who's counting down the minutes until she can take a drink, or the teenager in our homes who is planning to sleep with his girlfriend, or the child that we know who steals regularly from his parents. The root of all of our temptations is autonomy. We want to be our own boss. We want to determine our own course. We want finally to be independent from God and from his plan for us. And it's no surprise that this is the way that Satan approaches Jesus. This is the way that he tries to tempt our Lord. He doesn't tempt Jesus with wine, women, and song, as the old saying goes. Instead, he tempts Jesus with messianic power, with messianic status, but apart from God, apart from his Father. Look briefly with me at Satan's three temptations. Satan starts with small ball. He simply asks Jesus to provide for himself. We read that Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, and after 40 days of fasting, Satan plays on Jesus' all-too-human sense of hunger. Notice that Satan doesn't question God's provision. He doesn't even directly challenge God's authority. He merely asks Jesus to act where God was not acting. He wants Jesus to take control of his own life, to, to take control of his situation. And when that doesn't work, Satan raises the stakes a little bit. Verse 7, why die? Essentially, Satan asked Jesus, why do you have to be a suffering king? You can have everything that God has promised to you without the cross, without the blood, without the suffering. You can have all that God promises you merely by joining forces with me. Just bend the knee and it's all yours, all yours without a cross. In verse 9, the last temptation is perhaps the most insidious. Satan questions Jesus' assurance of the Father's love for him. Are you really the Son of God, Satan seems to be saying. Will God really protect you? Prove it. Prove it by throwing yourself from the pinnacle of the temple. Show the crowds, show yourself that God really can be trusted. Essentially, show the crowds, show yourself that God will come to your rescue. I feel the weight of these temptations. I wonder if you do. Do you sometimes want to forge your own way, apart from God's will, apart from God's word? Do you sometimes want to establish dominion over your own life, to be your own boss, to make your own decisions. 
I do. So what does this story tell us? Is it merely a reminder to us that Jesus was also tempted, that our God feels our pain? It's more than that. Because just a few verses before, in chapter 3, verse 38, we read that the one being tempted is the son of Adam. Now, this is not the first Adam in the garden naming the animals. This is the second Adam in the wilderness exile, surrounded, Mark chapter 1 tells us, by wild animals. The tempter has pursued the second Adam like he did the first. And he urges the second Adam to renounce his sonship, a pronouncement that God had made over him at his baptism just a few verses before in chapter 3, verse 22. But Jesus won't be seduced by the serpent's old strategy of abusing God's word. He refuses autonomy. He won't try to live apart from God like his ancient ancestor did. Jesus stands where Adam fell. And he also stands where Israel fell when they were tempted in the wilderness. These 40 days that Jesus stood in the wilderness echo the 40 years that Israel was tempted in the wilderness. And each response we read here in Mark chapter in Luke chapter 4 is the same response that Moses told Israel they should have made when they were tempted in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, we hear the echo of Luke chapter 4, verse 4, when Moses told Israel that they should have said, man does not live by bread alone. We see the same kind of relationship in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, where Jesus uses the words, you should worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve, when he rebuked the devil in verse 8 here in Luke chapter 4. And the same thing happens from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, when Jesus finally shuts Satan down in verse 12 by saying, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. If Israel had responded like this, Moses tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 6, they would have entered into the land. But of course, you and I know that they didn't. And so they wandered until death decimated that first generation. Jesus withstood all of the temptations that scuttled Israel in the wilderness. So now in Jesus, for the very first time, the world has an Adam and Israel has a king who will only do what he hears the father say. You see, Jesus' faithfulness isn't just for himself. He stands in Israel's place. He stands in Adam's place so that he can stand in my place, so that he can stand in your place. He is intentionally repeating key moments of human faithful, faithlessness. But where Adam and Israel and where you and I fall, Jesus stands firm. So what do you do with this remarkable story? What is God telling us today? Many of us look back over our lives with shame and regret. Our memories are punctured by times and places where we failed spectacularly. All of our resolutions to do better, all of our resolutions to be better crumbled at the first sign of an all-you-can-eat buffet or a pair of pretty legs. We opened our eyes in the morning, perhaps even this morning, 
and felt the temptations all around us like traps ready to spring tight at any moment. But if Jesus is the second Adam, if Jesus is the new Israel, if Jesus doesn't just feel your pain, but if he stood faithful in your place, then temptation is a toothless enemy. Temptations that you face on a daily basis are not opportunities for you to prove to God that you have given him a good return on his investment of mercy and grace and salvation. God is not leading you out into the wilderness to give you a second chance to get it right, to right your wrongs. God is leading you out into the wilderness to see your temptations defeated in the person of the second Adam who declares us righteous despite our wrongs. So as you move through life, as you come face to face with your own unique temptations, as you stand strong before others, or some, and as you fail miserably before others, remember what Martin Luther said. All the cunning of the devil is exercised in trying to tear you away from the word. That means that if you someday, if today perhaps, you resist temptation successfully and you pat yourself on the back, on the back and, and you wink up at heaven and you silently think, man, today I really showed God how lucky he is to have me. Or if tomorrow... You wake up in a pig pen in a far-off country, having squandered your inheritance on booze and pretty girls, and think, this time I've gone too far. In either situation, the devil wins. Because it's not your standing firm against temptation that interests him, or your falling before temptation that interests him. He only wants to convince you that you are alone in the wilderness that God considers you apart from Jesus Christ, apart from his work for you, apart from Jesus' victory over sin and over Satan. See, the answer, just like Jesus' answer to Satan, is found in the word. This is what Satan wants to distract us from. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And in verse 11 of that same chapter, it says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Can you imagine? No shame. No regret on the last day. No head held low, wondering what people really think of you. No fear that the good news might be too good to be true. When you are united to Jesus by faith, when you believe that his strength and his victory are your strength and your victory every single day of your life, then God sees you like he sees Jesus. God is as pleased with you as he is pleased with his only son. Your story changes you're no longer easy money to fail at temptation. 
Now you are known in heaven, like we just sang in Psalm 91, as the one who has trampled the serpent, as the one who has trampled the lion, as the one who is holy and blameless in the sight of God, blessed in the beloved, the dwelling place of God the Spirit. Will you pray with me? Father, we hear those words, and yet we also can see ourselves in moments of temptation where we felt alone, where we thought that we stood or fell on our own merits, and where more often than not, we found ourselves failing spectacularly. Oh God, would you lift our eyes? Lift our eyes to see the faithfulness of Christ in our place. Lift our eyes so that we can worship. Lift our eyes so that we can follow Jesus in the victory that he has won for us. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.